Welcome to the Faith and More podcast. My name is Reverend Angel Wise, and I'll be your host. I am an ordained licensed minister, a spiritual guide, and life coach. I firmly believe that the divine works through people every day to help us. These angels and saints are so very humble, many of us don't know they exist or existed. Each week, we'll explore the lives of these amazing beings. We will also explore topics that can help your faith, no matter what it is or isn't. The goal of this show is to inspire, encourage, educate, uplift, strengthen, and heal you and your faith. This show is also non-denominational and inclusive, so it is a safe place for everyone, regardless of what you believe or don't believe. So be sure to follow and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Enjoy the show. And welcome to the show, everyone. How are you all doing? I so hope and pray you all are well and blessed and that you've had a great week and enjoying your weekend and that you're having a wonderful Sunday or whenever you have chosen to listen to this episode. If you're new to the show, thank you for finding us. It's my deepest hope and sincerest prayer that you find everything you're looking for in a podcast, especially a faith-based podcast here and more. And if you're returning, infinite thanks, blessings, and love for being a long-time listener. You are the reason why this show is here. So as a podcaster, and those of you who out there who do podcasts, make podcasts, create podcasts, or videos, or YouTube, or anything like that, know that uh, your tagline or the title of your episode or video uh, is key in attracting people to your show. And a lot of times you will see people making things up and uh, they call that clickbait. So it's it's a, a title or a title and photo that is elusive, that gets your attention to get you to click on, listen to, and or watch, uh, either a, listen to a podcast or watch a video. And the podcast or video ends up being having nothing to do with the title or the picture. I want to let everyone know that that is not the case with today's show. Honestly, folks, this is one of those things that I couldn't make it up if I wanted to. It is outlandish, uh, but very, very real, and um, infinite thanks and blessings to the bishop that cursed me, um, because that sparked and provoked this show, which is a huge uh, PSA, public service announcement, and I pray you all will stay tuned and listen, because this is going to be a great show, regardless of your faith, whatever it is or isn't. So we have to begin with what happened. Um, just to let you guys know straight away, I'm not using anyone's names. Uh, the names I will be using are made up names. Okay, so the names I'm using aren't anybody's real name. Um, the bishop that cursed me, um, I will say, is residing in Canada. He's from Canada. Um, and he reached out to me back at the beginning of December. Out of the blue, I was contacted by this bishop, and he seemed like a very nice guy. Um, 
he had noted one of his uh, things that he speaks highly of regarding himself is that he's he does ordination of priests um, long distance. So those of you who listen to the book nook know the issues I'm having with becoming ordained, uh, going through the proper, yes, air quotes, proper channels. Um, it's, it's very political. It's, it's very difficult. And um, so anyway, when this guy appeared, I was like, interesting, you know, is this something that, you know, the divine has put us connecting us uh, for me to, you know, reach out and maybe be ordained by this bishop, or is this something dark? Uh, it's always something you have to keep in mind. Um, those of you who are Christians are aware of it, and I'm sure those of you who are not Christians uh, are aware of it as well, that you know there is the light and there is the dark, and they both can present themselves as very tasty morsels. And especially when they come out of nowhere at a time when you feel you need them the most, um, that's when you really have to be cautious. So, you know, I went ahead and replied to this uh, bishop. I'll call him Bishop Bob. So I replied to Bishop Bob, and I was, uh, again, not his real name. I replied to Bishop Bob and uh, started asking him some questions about, you know, his, uh, you know, being a bishop and how that all came about and this long distance um thing that he was doing with ordination. He had pictures all over his uh, Facebook page of people that he had ordained and all of that. And it was quite impressive. Um, but again, that's easy to do through pictures and, and stories. So we were started to chat back and forth through the Facebook Messenger, for those of you who are familiar with that. Um, and then he, he quickly stopped the texting um, through the Facebook messengers and started voice clipping me. And I, I don't find that unusual or strange because, you know, people, especially older people like me, um, we're not as dexterous as you got as dexterous. Is that a name? Is that a word? I think that's right. <laughs> See, I'm old. Uh, we're not as um, capable of texting fast like a lot of uh, younger generations are because we didn't grow up with this technology, so it's it's not ingrained in our wiring, so to speak. So by doing voice clips, you know, you record what you're going to say and then you send it. Um, it's a lot easier. You can say a lot more faster than you can, you know, thumb type it out on your phone or type it out on your tablet. So, again, I didn't think anything strange, weird or bizarre about this, but he started voice uh messaging me and I was, you know, replying back and we're getting to know each other. And, um, you know, I had initially thought that he was one that would ordain online, which those of you who are priests know that that's pretty much a big no-no that if you are ordained online, it's not valid in any, any Catholic faith, regardless if it's independent, if it's old Catholic, if it's Roman, if it's Orthodox, it's not valid. But I have to admit, at that stage, I was desperate. So you know, here we go, another flag. I was desperate. Um, 
So, you know, I was asking him about the ordination, which he forthright said that, no, he does not do ordination, that he will come to you and he will ordain you. And he immediately, this is in the first conversation, he immediately started asking where I lived and trying to make arrangements for flights to fly where I live to ordain me and to, to fly back. He was getting prices. I'm like, I, I don't have the funds for that. Um, and then he was like, well, is there someplace I can stay, you know, when I'm there? And is there a couch I can crash on? And it just got weird really quick. But I overlooked that because a lot of us are socially awkward. And if, you know, you are a lonely person, if someone's giving you attention, it's very easy to go overboard very quick. It's very easy to say too much too soon, to do too much too soon. So I kind of leaned on the brakes, was trying to lean on the brakes to get him to slow down. And I told him straight up, you know, who my spiritual director is and that he would need to speak with my spiritual director first and clear it through him before anything, before I would agree to anything at all. And he kind of glanced over that and kept going on about getting here. And then he was, he was saying, you know, he was poor and disabled and that he didn't have the funds, but he would try to raise the funds to come to me. And as long as he had a couch to crash on overnight before he flew back the next day, and if someone could pick him up from the airport and take him back or give him, you know, advice on a bus or cab. And, you know, I, again, leaned harder on the brakes. It's like, you know, again, you've got to go through my spiritual director. So then when he asked who that was, I told him, and he said, that name sounds very familiar. I said, well, he's on Facebook. So he went to look up my spiritual director, and I'm not going to say the name. For those of you who've been listening, you know who that is. Uh, for those of you who don't, you can go back and listen or listen to any other show. Again, I'm not, I'm not dropping names in this episode. We'll just call him Father John, <laughs> okay? So I told him he'd have to talk with Father John. So he was like, well, I can't find uh, John. He was calling him Jonathan, of course, you know, using a different name or an extended name of the, of the name that my spiritual director uses. Well, I can't find Jonathan on Facebook. He said, maybe I have blocked him or he's blocked me. Red flag. There goes another one. And then he comes back and says, yeah, I had blocked him because Jonathan and I had talked some months ago and we actually had a big uh, dispute over the Bible and Genesis and all of this. And he just didn't know what he was talking about. And, you know, I just couldn't have nothing to do with him. And so I blocked him. So I immediately began probing for more information. I was like, you know, what exactly happened? Or feel free to share with me what you feel comfortable sharing, because what you are describing or who you are describing does not sound like the Father John that I know. So Bishop Bob 
went on tirade about you know the, the details and how rude uh, Father Jonathan was and all this. And I was like, that is not that's not Father John. That's the, the person you're describing is not Father John. So he was kind of alluding to me that I didn't know or I don't know my spiritual director, you know, that there is another side of him. Of course, there's different sides to everybody. We're none of us are infallible, including the Pope, contrary to what Roman Catholic, uh, you know, catechism states. But none of us humans are infallible, you know, to err is human. You know, that's where that came from. Um, so, but I was like, you know, but this is not him. You know, definitely this is not him. So, but then he started leaning back into, you know, I can come and visit. We can, you know, I can ordain you. I can, you know, and it, almost like he could just come tomorrow. And I'm like, whoa, again, you've got to clear it through Father John before I will agree to anything. So it quickly turned, I was able to get him off that path and he started to talk about himself and he was sharing that, you know, his, he lives by himself. He's disabled. He's been shot. He's been stabbed. Um, he's been hit by a car. Um, he's had a very rough life. Um, he's been bullied. Um, he does missionary work where he goes every day into town in the area where he lives in Canada um, to try to um, do missionary work and convert Muslims. Now, any of you know anything about missionary work? It's number one, it's very dangerous. Number two, you should never be doing it alone. And I'm of the firm belief that you should never try to convert anyone. If you want to go help someone in the name of your faith, go for it. There's so many missionary people and organizations that do this, that go to places like Haiti and help people rebuild their homes and their churches and their schools. And they do it out of their faith, out of their love for human beings and their faith, but they're not converting people. You know, they're not hitting you with a Bible or telling you that your religion is garbage um, and blasphemy and that you need to change. Um, so those are good missionaries, but the ones that have the motivation and intent to change you into what they feel you should be is wrong. You know, yes, that's coming from me. That's my personal view, folks. I believe firmly that's wrong. You know, how dare us think that what we believe is better than what someone else believes? Everyone, and I've said this on the show infinite times, everyone believes something differently. We all believe differently. There are no two of us that believe the same things. Now, my wife and I put us together. We've been together 36 years, folks. We can finish each other's thoughts. We can finish each other's sentences, but we are very different people. And that's one of the things I love about Haven the most is our differences. She is so fascinating, so exciting. Yeah, after 36 years, we're like newlyweds. She's exciting. Every moment with her is new. She's so spontaneous. You know, and 
other people are like this too. So how dare someone go up to someone else, just in, it's, it's a complete stranger, and tell them that their faith is wrong, that their beliefs are wrong. That's just that's so bad on so many levels. Jesus didn't even do that. Jesus taught. He went out into an open field. Yes, there were times when he went to the synagogue, <laughs> uh, but mostly he went to an open area and just started teaching, or as Christians would say, preaching. Um, I prefer to say teaching because he wasn't talking at people. He was talking to and with people. He was helping them to learn, to grow, to evolve. So that's teaching, okay? And that's how it should be. If you want to go out to an open field and start sharing the good news, go right ahead. And if you get a group of people around you and they're listening, good for you. That's great. But to actually go into a community that is not your faith with the motivation and intent to convert them is wrong. Again, that's me personally. That's wrong. I feel that it's extremely wrong and not to say extremely dangerous. So Bishop Bob continued by sharing that, you know, he has two sisters and that he has not talked with his sisters in years. Of course, this was in December, beginning of December. So we had the holidays coming up. So he was, you know, kind of depressed and upset that he didn't have anyone to spend the holidays with. So again, I kind of probed and said, you know, well, what happened between you and your sisters? And he said, well, they're witches. They worship the devil. And I was like, what? He said, yeah, they're witches. They worship the devil. I said, witches don't worship the devil. I mean, I don't understand where you're coming from. Yes, they do. They worship the devil and I won't have anything to do with them. And then he went back into being sad and depressed that, he didn't have anyone to spend the holidays with. So I told him, okay, I'm here. You know, I've got to work the holidays. You've, of course, you've got your ways to contact me. I'm here for you if you just want to talk or, you know, whatever. And he seemed to appreciate that. Um, you know, yeah, I thought it was odd that here uh, a minister is <laughs> counseling a, a, a bishop. But, hey, stranger things have happened, right? I mean, we all go PP the same way, right? <laughs> so anyway, you know, I was able to talk with uh, Father John because we talk every Sunday. So I was able to speak with Father John. We do a Zoom meeting and share with him about Bishop Bob. And he was like, oh, yeah, I know. I know him. And he was sharing with me how, you know, this bishop is very extreme. Um, very fanatical. And I got that. I got that from the get-go, you know, again, with all the red flags and just how he was and, you know, going into Muslim communities to convert people and doing it by himself in the winter. And yeah, yeah, yeah. there's something not right, you know, and that he has two sisters living. He's blessed to have two sisters that are living and that he won't have anything to do with them because he believes, he truly believes that witches worship the
the devil. So uh, we began talking some more. Right after I got done talking with uh, Father John one Sunday, it was probably this, yeah, it was the Sunday before Christmas. Um, right after I got done talking with Father John, he rang me. He actually called me through the voice messenger, I mean, a voice messenger, excuse me, the Facebook messenger. You can do that if you're friends with people. So he, it's, a, it's like a telephone for those of you who don't know. So he called me and we talked for over an hour. And part of what we talked about were witches. And I was trying to explain to him that some of the dearest people and closest people to me in my life are witches and they do not worship the devil. And that, you know, I shared with him that I had studied uh, the craft in the past, that I was actually a druid once upon a time, and that there is no devil worship in any of it, that they do nothing but good. And he was going along with it at that moment. I don't know if he wasn't paying attention to the conversation or if I just found an open spot in his heart that was there for a minute. Uh, but he was accepting of that. So here is what happened next. Now, this, this is where the curse came in. So I'll read you all the, the texts that he sent me on the Facebook Messenger, but he was just saying that he's so sad today, nowhere to go for Christmas. And I said, so sorry. And he says, it's okay. We'll try to figure something. And then I said or asked, have you thought about calling your sisters? He replied, no, never. She is a bona fide witch. And I replied, how would Jesus see her, especially if she was his sister? Some witches are great people, to which he replied, they are guided by the devil. I replied with a question mark. Then I said, not the ones I know. The ones I know, I continued, the ones I know are more holy than most Christians I know. And oh, my Lord, did I press the wrong button or step on the wrong button? This is his reply before he blocked me and unfriended me. So I couldn't reply back. God have grace on your soul. God says it's not good to call good evil and evil good. How deluded are you if you think witches are more holy than most Christians? You didn't even say nicer. You said holy. Here's the curse. May God's protection leave you until you come back to him. Now I know your desire for priesthood is wicked. I bind the delusional thinking in the name of the blood of Jesus. Folks, he wants to talk about bona fide. That's a bona fide curse. You don't have to be a witch, Wiccan, Druid, priest, priestess, anyone with any knowledge of the craft at all to know that's a curse. And then to say that my goals for being a priest is wicked. <laughs> and then running away. He blocked me, unfriended me, and ran away so I could not reply. And that's what he did with Father John as well when they had a conversation and he disagreed strongly with what Father John was saying. 
So, yeah, so there, there's the story, folks. Yeah, and after that, you know, I, I get sick. My family gets sick, and you know, it's from the curse. No, absolutely not. I don't believe in curses. I don't believe in that. You know, I, I only believe that curses are only as good as the energy you put into them yourself, which means you're cursing yourself, not somebody else cursing you. So that was the story behind the curse. Um, but it, it's an underlying bigger issue. There's an underlying bigger um, vegan fish to fry, so to speak. And it's extremism. And we see it at both ends of the spectrum. We see religious extremism or religious fanaticals. And we see non-religious extremists and non-religious fanaticals. Um, it's just, it all comes down to one thing, folks, and it's ignorance. And when I say ignorance, for those of you who are new, um, I use the Eastern definition of ignorance, which is the lack of knowing, the lack of truth. So those people who are extremists are ignorant. They don't know. They honestly, honestly believe with all of their mind. I'm not going to say all their heart because their heart's not in it. They believe all with their human mind that this is this and that is that, and they will not bend any way, shape, and or form. So here you have Bishop Bob not wanting to have anything to do with his sisters because he believes that they follow and worship the devil because they're witches without any previous study into what his sisters are, or even just sitting down with his sisters and talking with them, asking them to share their way, to share their faith, to share their beliefs. He immediately came to the conclusion of the belief that he holds, literally holds extremely tightly. He's hanging on to that belief for his dear life. And then you know, here's someone who he reached out to randomly, question mark. I don't know if he chose me randomly or how he chose me, um, but reached out to me. And here I am genuinely trying to help him um, get over this sadness and help him to realize there's no reason for you to be alone and sad on the holidays. You have two living sisters that I am sure would love and be elated to hear from you. But he totally goes insane when I even suggest it. And then when I point out that, you know, with the question, you know, how would Jesus handle this? He doesn't reply. He completely ignores that. However, when I said that most witches are holier than most Christians I know, that was his button. That was his kill switch. And that's what he did. He pulled this curse up out of, <laughs> out of his bowels and spewed it forth. And those of you who are Christian folks know that there's absolutely no way, no way, he can revoke protection of God on me, on anyone. To say that he can revoke God's protection is to say that he's higher than, 
and in control of God. And that's, he wants to talk about delusion. That's not only delusion, but that's very dangerous. Here you have someone wearing the collar of not only the priesthood, but a bishop. And they're wielding that as a weapon, not as a tool to help, but as a weapon to cause harm. And that's tragic on so many levels. Am I angry with Bishop Bob? Absolutely not. You know, I'm, I'm disappointed. Um, I am concerned, very concerned for Bishop Bob and his mental health. Um, if this is something that he so firmly believes that he's willing to chase literally everyone away from him and make himself so alone and secluded, and then that throws him into depression, that's dangerous. That's not good. And then putting yourself in harm's way, you know, going to communities of people of other faiths with the motivation and intent to convert, dangerous, very dangerous. Um, it's not like he's going in and he's meeting with the leaders of the community and sitting down and speaking with them in an interfaith way. It's about converting. And he's told me and shared with me that the leaders, you know, the Muslim leaders in that community despise him. But yet he continues to keep going because he believes that's the Lord's work. That's what God wants him to do. Again, we see, see this ignorance, this not knowing, this lack of not knowing the truth um, and how it's, you know, manipulating and, and, and moving this, this being. And I'm not going to say darkness because, yeah, he could be oppressed and he could be possessed. But from what I gathered, you know, in the brief two weeks I knew him, um, I didn't get that. You know, um, I'm usually decent at picking up on that. Uh, but with him, I didn't pick up on that. With him, I picked up on it was total hatred and prejudice. Because he had been bullied. Um, he is gay. So, and he's estranged from his sisters and he's alone. He feels he has no control over his life. So he feels that if he can control others, again, this is just my personal feelings. He feels that if he can control others, then he has some control in his own life. But no matter how bad life gets, he can control others. Therefore, that gives him power uh, because he was very good at throwing the word bishop, the title bishop around. Uh, even when he was referring to his conversations with Father John, he was like, well, you know, Father John said this and Father John said that. And Father John doesn't realize I'm a bishop. And I told him I'm a bishop. You have to listen to me. And I'm thinking that's not how it works. Just because you're a bishop doesn't mean you're higher than somebody else or that you are superior to someone else. I mean, that's the whole, one of the big reasons for the independent Catholic movement um, is to break away from the Vatican, to break away from the Pope, who is the one seated, infallible controller. But yet, here you're doing not only the same thing, but worse. Um, so again, we're getting back, I want to get back to the underlying thing here. Um, this whole thing about witches 
in the ignorance. I mean, I'm talking, folks, ignorance behind this. And if you're Christian, please, I beg you, stay on this line. Stay listening to the show, because what I'm going to be sharing with you is biblical. I'm not going to be making up crap to try to you know, sell you all a used car. Absolutely not. I'm going to share with you the facts and the truth, because just like the LGBTQ plus community, just like people of other cultures, other races, witches as well as the same have been mistreated, abused, and killed for what other people think they believe. And that's the key, what other people think they believe, the labels other people have put on them. None of the witches that are persecuted or slanderized who are were killed were ever sat down one-on-one getting to meet them and know them. Everything was a pre-thought belief of the persecutor not the victim. And isn't that usually how it is, folks, with hate crimes? Is that what people don't know they fear and they hate what they don't, they hate what they fear. <laughs> I know, I know, I can hear people growling now. Here, here, here is a vegan pizza roll. Just chew on this for a minute until, and let me get through this, folks, really. If you still disagree with me after I'm finished with this spiel, then you have every right to be uh, in disagreement. But let's please let me present the evidence and information first uh, before we before you snap at my neck. Okay, so just hang on with me. So where did this big fear, big phobia, big thing of hate and prejudice against air quotes, witches? Uh, come from? Where did it start? Well, everybody says it's in the Bible. Everybody you talk to says it's in the Bible. The Bible says this, the Bible says that. Even Bishop Bob said, you know, God said, well, God said, God said, God said. But never is there any reference uh, or scripture given, okay? Rare, I should say rarely is there ever any scriptural evidence given. And that's the thing is, it's one thing I've learned through um, through my spiritual director, who we are calling Father John today. <laughs> uh, one thing I'm learning through Father John is that when you make a statement, you have to back it up with proof. You have to back it up with, if you quote scripture, you have to back it up with what scripture it is, where it came from, and what version of the Bible that scripture came from, because words are different in each edition of the Bible. And there's so many versions of the Bible, so many translations over years and years and years um, of the Bible. Uh, so you, you it, it depends on the Bible, the time it was written, the wording, which we're gonna find out here in just a moment. For example, just real quick, for example, a book that I'm currently studying right now is called The Very first Bible, and it's by Marcion of Sinope, okay? This is historically, historically, one of the very first Bibles ever written, and it was written in 144 AD or 144 CE by whatever calendar you go by. 
So, of course, the wording in that is going to be different because the wording in it um, is essentially from 144 CE or 144 AD. Anyway, getting back to, um, you know, where where did this this hate, this uh, prejudice, this fear, this phobia of which is originate or people believe it originated? Okay, of course, again, everybody says this in the Bible. There are only three. One, two, three. Uno, dos, tres. There's only three passages in the Bible that give any nod, even to the slightest, towards what one can, could consider or construe to be a witch. And the first is Exodus 22, 18. Old Testament. All of these are Old Testament. It says, you shall not allow a sorceress to live. And that's in the New American Standard Bible version. In the King James Version, New King James, it actually says witch instead of sorcerer. So you see how whatever um, Bible you are using, whatever translation you use, is important. And it's important that you cross-reference your Bibles because if you grabbed a new King James, and it said which, and you believe which, and you don't cross-reference it, or study any other translations of the Bible or versions of the Bible, then you don't know. You don't have that knowledge. That makes you ignorant. I mean, I'm not saying is it ignorant is in a derogatory term. It doesn't mean you're stupid. It means you lack the knowledge. You lack truth. So again, that's from the New American Standard Version, it says, or New American Standard Bible. It says, you shall not allow a sorceress to live. So let's go back. Let's go all the way back. Where did this term sorceress translation, what translated, what was translated, excuse me, what Hebrew, ancient Hebrew word was translated to sorceress, witch, um, etc. Okay, we've got to go back. You've got to go back to the beginning. You've got to do your homework. You've got to dig deep into this if you truly want the truth. Simple as that. And here, I'm doing it for you. Okay, all I'm asking is you just please eat your vegan pizza roll and continue to listen. There is an, he, a Hebrew word, not an ancient Hebrew word, but a Hebrew word called makesh afa. Makeshafa, okay? It is a modern Hebrew word because ancient Hebrew is gone. We do not have ancient Hebrew. We don't have the ancient Hebrew or Aramaic that was written or spoken back in Jesus' time, okay? Or when these, uh, you know, a lot of your versions of your Bible and stuff were written in in Greek, instead of Hebrew, and etc. But anyway, we're talking Hebrew, ancient Hebrew. Since this is Old Testament, these verses are Old Testament. It has to have come from ancient Hebrew, which is a language that no longer exists. We have modern Hebrew, but we do not have ancient Hebrew. So we don't know what the true meaning of these words are. There can only be people that can guesstimate it. So I'm going to explain more on that here in a minute. So hang on to that word, Makesha uh, Fa. Okay. So the second notation in the Bible is Leviticus 19.26. 
again from the New American Standard Bible, which I have to say is allegedly by theologians and scholars is proclaimed to be the most verbally accurate of all the Bible versions, okay? It says, Leviticus 19.26, you shall not eat anything with blood, with the blood, excuse me, nor practice divination or soothsaying, okay? So there's the second reference that people automatically divert to witches. Next is Leviticus 20.26. Again, these two are in Leviticus. One Exodus, two Leviticus. Leviticus 20.27 says, Now a man or a woman who is a medium or a spiritist shall surely be put to death. They shall be stoned with stones. Their blood guiltiness is upon them. And folks, that last Bible passage, Leviticus 20. 27 was the most used in the persecution and execution of what people deemed or believed to be witches. Okay? So now I'm going to read an article. This article is called Thou Shalt Not Suffer a Witch to Live, a Murderous Mistranslation? Question mark. Not everybody agrees that the biblical reference in Exodus is to witches as we understand them. This article is by Elizabeth Sloan of Herod's Archaeology, okay? And I'll definitely, definitely have a link to this in the show notes and description. She says, this quote found in King James Version of the Bible has been widely held responsible for the witch burnings that plagued Europe and later America. In early modern period, 1450 CE through 1750 CE. But the murderous practice may have all been the result of a biblical mistranslation. Again, I'm going to say that. The result of a biblical mistranslation. The original Hebrew word used in Exodus translated as which is Makah Shepha or Shepha. Makah Shepha. It's M-E-K-H-A-S-H-E-P-H-A. And yes, I'll have a link to this in the description, show notes, so make sure you check that out if you want to read it thoroughly over and study it. But what that word actually meant when Exodus was written thousands of years ago, we cannot know, leaving us with only modern interpretations. So again, as she's saying, since the ancient Hebrew language is extinct, it is extinct. There is no one who knows the ancient Hebrew language. We have modern Hebrew, but we do not have, it's not the same as ancient Hebrew. And this passage was written originally in ancient Hebrew and translated by people who could not read or know exactly what the words meant, translated to our current language or various languages over the time, over the thousands of years. And you know how things can get lost in translation. Playing the telephone game, the very same can apply to this. The word, Mecca Shefa, was translated as witch in the Ben Yehuda Hebrew Dictionary. The dictionary was written by Eliezer Ben Yehuda, 
who is considered by many to be the father of modern, modern, not ancient, modern Hebrew, and who established the Academy of the Hebrew language. The root of the word, kashaf, is translated as mutterings by the late Merrill F. Unger, biblical scholar and theologian, in his book, Biblical Demonology. He, too, essentially interpreted Mekashef as which, specifically, one who practices magic by using occult formulas, incantations, and mystic mutterings. However, Kenneth Kitchen, a Bible scholar at the University of Liverpool, translates the root as to cut and thinks it might refer to cutting herbs. And that's from Kenneth Kitchen, Magic and Sorcery, page 723. See, when you're giving this information, it's imperative that you give your references as well. So people like you listening can take what I'm saying and study it yourself and cross-reference it yourself. That interpretation of a Mecca Shefa comes closer to what is said in the Septuagint, the translation of Hebraic traditions into Greek that was written by Jewish sages in the third century BCE. Okay? BCE. So this is before. In the Septuagint, I should probably spell that S-E-P-T-U-A-G-I-N-T, Septuagint, Septuagint. <laughs> Mecca Shepha was translated into Pharmakeia and Jeffers, lecturer in biblical studies at Haythrope College, translates Pharmakeia to herbalist. However, Reginald Scott, a British member of parliament in the 16th century, so that's back in the 1500s, witchcraft skeptic and one-time student at Oxford, translated pharmacia to mean poisoner in his book, The Discovery of Witchcraft. Might Exodus refer to a herbalist or poisoners instead of witches? The Septuagint was written by Jewish scholars in ancient Egypt, who were fluent in both Greek and Hebrew. That lends credence to the theory that the Hebrew word really did refer more towards herbalists and poisoners, or poisoners, excuse me, not maleficent spell casters. But that does not close the argument. Professor Yitzchik, or Yitzchak, Y-I-T-S-H-A-K, Safati, senior lecturer in Bible and astrology at Bar Lan University, points out that in Deuteronomy 18, 9 through 10, Mecca Sepha are mentioned in a list of those whose practices Yahweh considers to be abominations. This list includes, keep this in mind, folks, because I'm going to refer back to it, necromancers those who cast spells, those who summon spirits, and practitioners of divination, among others. While this does not make them sorcerers, it puts them in the same category. 
This could be because they were associated with pagan practices, not because they practiced magic. Professor Jeffers rebuts, adding that the political situation when Deuteronomy was written, again, extremely important when you're studying your Bible, you cannot take it word for word because it's allegorically for one thing, meaning it has many meanings, many, many hidden meanings, and was never meant to be taken historically or word for word accurate. Okay? So not only do you have to cross-reference your Bibles, but you also have to remember historically when was this written? What historic time is this in reference to? Because it's not in reference to today, okay? So again, important things to keep in mind as you're going through this. So he says it was during this period that in Deuteronomy was written that prophets, such as Josiah, were actively attempting religious reforms. Hang on to your seats, folks such as eliminating God's wife, Asherah, A-S-H-E-R-A-H. Google it, folks, and you'll find it. Once upon a time, in the beginning, back in these days, the ancient Egyptian days, when Deuteronomy was written, at that point, and previous to that point, people believed there was a God, and a goddess, his wife, and she had a name, Asherah, A-S-H-E-R-A-H. It was during that period that the meaning could have changed. So folks like Josiah were actively pursuing a monotheistic way of belief, meaning one God, and eliminating all of the beliefs of polytheism, which is the belief in multiple gods. So those who were Christian, or I should say there was no Christians at the time, those who, who were Jewish at that time believed in two gods. They believed there was a male and a female. There was God who went by Yahweh or Adonai, and there was Asherah, his wife. How many of you knew that? Raise your hand. See, this is what we've got to do, folks. If, if you are, and this is not derogatory in any way, because I was like this too for the longest time until my seminary studies. If you are a Christian and you profess to be a Christian and you profess that the Bible is your book, that is a, it is a book from God, that it is words from God, that it is God in words, in text form. You've got to know it. I mean, you've got to know it. You've got to study it. And I'm saying not just read it. You've got to study it. You've got to really dig deep. You've got to look at history, when it was written, who it was written for, who it was written about. You've got to look at the allegories of all the different meanings of all the different phrases because they're very cryptic. They're not to be taken literally or historically. The writers of the Bible time and time again professed that, that they never meant for anyone to take what they were writing literally or historically. So you've got to do your work. 
You've got to compare your versions of your Bible. And yeah, it, it's, a, it's a lot of work, but see the things we're missing. And in the things we miss, that, then other things come from that. Hate, prejudice, misunderstandings, fear, all of that garbage just comes from us not knowing. Also, magic could have not a, have been a total anathema or anathema, which is a, a lacking or a, a hatred or extreme dislike for something to the Jewish people for the entirety of their history, because Jewish magical text existed during the Palestinian, Babylonian, and Cairo Geniza periods, as Professor Yuval Hari of Ben Gurion University of the Negev has noted. So that means, folks, that the Jewish people of those days actually were around Egyptians who practiced the craft, nature, um, faiths, sorcery, witchcraft, whatever you want to label it according to your thoughts and beliefs, which I hope we're, we're turning around here, um, they practice that. And I'm sorry, folks, but Jewish people today still practice the craft. It's called Kabbalah. So if you ever look at or study the Kabbalah, that is a very esoteric tradition of the Jewish faith, which is their version of the craft. So again, show of hands, how many people knew that? You know, I'm sure a few of you did, but many of you do not know. And that's the whole thing. Was, I hope this is bringing light, folks, to the grave errors that are being done over history. And it keeps going and keeps perpetuating. And we have to put an end to it. We have to stop the hate. We have to stop the prejudice. And that goes for everything. So next it says... Be that as it may, by the time we get to Latin Vulgate uh, Bible, Mekashef was definitively translated as Maleficus. This translation inspired the title of a witch hunting manual called Malleus Maleficarum, the Hammer of Witches. Yes, it still exists today, sadly enough. Even then, the question of supernatural power is not put to rest. The late Reverend Donald J. Bretherton, an Anglican vicar, cautions that the term maleficus or maleficesis merely means evildoers and should not be translated as witch or sorcerer. Maleficesis, or sorry if I'm mispronouncing that would only refer to a witch or sorcerer if the individual used magic for evil. That brings us full circle to how witchcraft was viewed by the ancient Mesotopians, or excuse me, Mesopotamians. They divided practitioners between evil and good. According to Professor Safati, white magic practiced by Baru, which is a diviner, or an Asipu, or Masa Masu, an exorcist, 
and black magic performed by a kasapu or a kasaptu, a sorcerer. For sure the ancients abbered witchcraft too. The code of Hammurabi, or Hammurabi, an 18th century BCE Babylonian code of law from Mesopotamia, excuse me, says if anyone ensnare another, putting a ban upon them, but he cannot prove it, then he that ensnared him shall be put to death. Don't look at Bishop Bob, everybody. <laughs> everybody. Yes, he did bind me and he can't prove it, but we're not going to put him to death. See, that's how these things perpetuate. That's how this over history just keeps going and going and that poison just keeps spreading. Thousands of years down the line without a Rosetta Stone of ancient evils and a definitive translation of Mekashef, we cannot know if the authors of Exodus meant poisoners, herbalists, or people who used magic for evil. Even without a definitive translation, it's unlikely that the King James Bible, quote, thou shalt not suffer a witch to live, is a wholly accurate translation. This means that the witch hunts that Europe suffered were based on superstitious nonsense with no basis in the Bible or in reality. I'm going to say it again because it still pertains today. Witch hunts were based and are based on superstitious nonsense with no basis in the Bible or in reality. And again, folks, I am not trying to convert anyone over to the craft. Not at all. I am merely trying to educate anyone who is listening. And I'm begging and pleading with you to learn. I'm not converting. You can still disagree with the craft. You can disagree with witches, priests, priestesses, sorcerers, whatever you want to label them. Or as I say, those who practice nature faiths. You can disagree with them all you want. Even indigenous religions like the Native Americans and the uh, first people of Canada. You can disagree with them all you want, but does that make them wrong and make you right? Does that make your faith better than their faith? A faith that you don't have any idea about, that you've never studied, thoroughly studied, and learned, and practiced before you condemned? Let me continue, folks. I've got a little bit more here. Just hang on. So that witch's hammer book, the Malus Maleficarum, was responsible for over 80,000 people's deaths between 1500 and 1700 CE, or AD, however you want to look at it. These people, these innocent people, were suspected to be witches. The majority of these deaths happened in Europe. You know, the one of the most famous is the Salem Witch Trials, which 80 people were actually thought to have been witches, and 20 were killed. But in Europe, it was more than that. 80 
thousand eight zero with three more zeros. Eighty thousand people died. It said around eighty percent of them were women, thought to have been in cahoots with the devil, and filled with lust. Germany had the highest witchcraft execution rate, while Ireland had the lowest. So what's changed? No, we don't put them to death anymore. But you know what? We have oppressed and beaten them down so much that they're in hiding. Most witches are in hiding. And those witches who have come out in the public go by pseudonyms, go by a different name. They don't use their real names. They don't give their real addresses where they live because they're afraid. They're afraid that at any given moment, some crazy radical Christian or extremist will come and attack them, their family, their home. And it happens. It happens every day. Look at, look at Bishop Bob, his own sisters, flesh and blood family. The only family he has left in this lifetime. And he has nothing to do with them because he believes they are witches and he believes that witches follow and worship the devil. Who knows? His sisters may not even really be witches. They might just be herbalists or, you know, nature faiths. But this is what he's labeled them, and this is what people label them. Folks, I've been trying so hard. Here's a, here's a teaser, or I should say teaser. Here's a, a spoiler. No, not even that. Here's just a, a, an admission, a confession. I have, yeah, that's the word, confession. I've been tr a minister that didn't get that word at first. Wow, okay. A confession. I have been trying diligently since the beginning of this show. We're in season four now, about three quarters way through season four. So we're rounding to bend the season five. I have been trying to find a witch or a person of a nature faith that would be willing to come on this show and speak from their personal experience, their personal faith. Again, you have to remember, everybody's faith is different. Everybody's beliefs are faith. Our beliefs are different. Two witches or two nature faith people in the same room are going to vary. They're going to have varying beliefs, just like you get two Christians together, even from the same church, the same parish. They're not going to believe identically the same thing. But I was trying, I've been trying so hard to get, try to get someone to come forward. One of them is very near and dear to me. He's been a friend forever and trying to get them to come on the show. And they're just, they are just so fearful of doing it because once you're out, those of you in the LGBTQ plus community know, once you're out, you're out. And witches say, once you come out of the broom closet, you're out. You can't go back. Once people know your identity, 
you will receive all kinds of hate. And I'm sure I will for this episode, but that's fine. Again, that's just showing people's ignorance. If they want to take the time to, to throw around hate and prejudice instead of learning and educating and growing, then that's on them. Am I saying I know everything? Absolutely not. The less I know, the better. And what I mean by that is the less preconceived notions and beliefs I have in my head and in my heart, the better off I am and the better off everyone is. The more we can root out that ingrained culture, that programming, that media garbage that we're filled with, that racist hate and prejudice that comes from things we've ran into throughout our lives needs to be uprooted. It needs to be eradicated. If Until then, you're not free. You will never, ever be free. You will never, ever know the truth. You'll never be able to experience the truth. You'll never be able to completely or even halfly communicate, commune with the divine because you're always going to have that barrier. You're always going to have that block between you and it. So here's a kicker question for you guys. Remember I said, remember necromancy and uh, spell work and all that stuff. Was Jesus a witch? Now don't, don't scream at me. I can hear people grinding their teeth and, and tearing their chairs apart and throwing stuff across the room and probably clicking off this episode right now. But please hear me out. Was Jesus a witch? He healed people. He brought people back from the dead. So that's necromancy there, folks. He communicated and brought people back to the dead. Don't you don't believe it? Well, let, let's give you let's give you a good good version of it here. John eleven forty one through forty four. Again, this is the um, New American Standard Bible. So we'll start with forty one. So they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, "Father, I thank you, and thank you that you have heard me." I knew you always hear me, but because of the people standing around, I said it so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. The man who had died came forth, bound hand and foot with wrappings, and his face was wrapped around with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. There are more than one, more than one experience in the Bible of Jesus raising the dead. Necromancy. What about the multiplying of the fish and bread? Walking on water. Um, you know, he made an overabundant amount of fish appear where there was literally none. Remember Simon, who he later named Peter and his brother James were fishing? This is Luke 5, folks. Jesus, you know, is walking about and he sees these guys coming in from fishing. And he asked one of them to take him out a bit, which is Simon, also known as Peter founder of the Roman Catholic Church, 
who the Pope is a direct lineage of, as well as most Roman Catholic bishops. Asked him to row him out a bit. And then what happened? When he, so this is Luke 5, 4 through 7. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered and said, Master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing, but I'll do as you say and let down the nets. When they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish, and their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in another boat for them to come and help them. And they came and filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. Now, this is an area these guys have fished. They're professional fishermen, anglers, if you could call them. Fished all night and did not get one fish. But Jesus summoned the fish to the point to where the boats were sinking. They were so full. So was he a witch? According to the way people look at it today, yeah. If anybody would even say they did one of these things or claim they did one of these things or could do one of these miracles, they would be considered a witch. They'd be considered a heretic. They'd be considered an, someone that's evil, that's following the devil, doing the devil's work. What about those who are Christians who um, do laying on of hands and healing? You consider them to be witches? I mean, here they are. They're healing people, right? They're laying their hands on people, muttering an incantation, a.k.a. prayer, and healing people. Just like a witch or someone of the craft or a nature of faith, Native Americans do rituals and heal people. See, that's what I'm saying, folks. We've got to stop with this hate and this prejudice. It is our responsibility as humans, as whatever we label ourselves, if you label yourself anything, for me, a Christian. It's my responsibility as a Christian to educate myself to the fullest extent. And that's, that's a never-ending process. Yes, it's a lot of work, but it's something that has to be done. If you don't want to do the work, then just go by what Jesus taught. Go by what Jesus said. Go by what Jesus did. Remember, judge not. Jesus said that. Judge not, lest ye be judged. And I might add, <laughs> you know, don't don't hex anyone or curse anyone. That's not nice. <laughs> so again, who is the witch and what does it matter? Are they causing harm to themselves or others? No. 
If they're not, then leave them be. And if they are, then you know what? That's going to come back to them. Those who cause harm will receive harm. Remember, reap what you sow. Again, if we're going to use the Bible and refer to it, let's do it. Don't just use it as a, don't just use it, never use it as a weapon. It was not intended or written to be used as a weapon. It was not written or meant to be used for hate, for prejudice. You know, it was used to try to unite, to bring people together, to not make people further separated. Jesus was all about love. Buddha was all about love, compassion. You know, all of the great teachers, church fathers, church mothers, were all about love, compassion. We need not only to do that, folks, but we also need to add two more things. We need to be inclusive, which means we should not exclude anyone. We should be welcoming to all people. Everyone is our brother and sister. Everyone is. Absolutely. We are all children of the divine. And what's the other part? We need to be accepting. Accepting of people of other faiths, other cultures, other races, nationalities. I could go on and on and on and on and on. Don't look at somebody and instantly judge them. I know we all do. I do as well from time to time. Don't look at someone and instantly judge them based on their appearance or based on their race, based on their religion. Believe you me, folks, some of the best and greatest people you'll ever meet are of a different culture and a different faith than you are. And you both can learn so very much from each other. I am huge. If one thing you guys have learned from about me over all these shows is you should know how big I am into interfaith. About focusing on the similarities rather than the differences. When you meet with your fellow brothers and sisters of other cultures, other faiths, other races, focus on the similarities. I shared long time ago the story when I was Buddhist and teaching Buddhism and Eastern philosophy, waiting for a bus. And I had a mala, which is prayer beads, in my hand. And I was always praying, like I still do today. But now I'm with the Holy Trinity, so those Christians should be happy about that. Uh, but I'm, I'm praying the prayer of compassion for everyone. Everyone, not just one person, for everyone which is a very common uh, Buddhist practice, especially Tibetan Buddhism. So I'm doing the Mani prayer, Omani Pemi Hom, the prayer of compassion. And I'm doing it silently as I'm clicking through the beads. And a, a Muslim gentleman came up to me and asked me what I was doing. And I just told him, you know, I, I was praying. And he shared that he was Muslim or Muslim. Sorry if I'm mispronouncing that. And that 
he does something similar called telling the beads. He also had a mala, prayer beads, to which he said his prayers for everyone, not just for himself or for his family or for people he knew directly, for all beings. See, there is an opportunity everywhere, an opportunity with each person. I didn't approach him and hit him, you know, with a Dhammapada, which is the, like a Buddhist Bible. And he didn't come up and hit me with a Quran. We naturally shared with each other the similarities of our faiths. I educated him. He educated me. And for me to be still telling this story, this is probably back in 2004. So all these years later, I'm still telling this story, tells you the deep impact that experience had on me. It's one that I love to share with others because I so long for all of you to be able to have that same or similar or better experience. And you can. We just got to put the weapons down. We've got to put the hate away. We've got to put the prejudice away. We've got to stop going from the conditioned mind and start going from an open, loving, compassionate, inclusive, and accepting heart. If you're Christian, that's what Jesus did. If you're Buddhist, that's what Buddha did. You know, other faiths have their views as well. We've got to stop looking down on people. We have to stop judging people regardless. Again, when you're judging, you're looking at what? Differences. Look for the similarities. Look for the similarities and you can never go wrong. All right, folks. Well, thank you all for getting to this point. I'm going to run uh, a few quick advertisements uh, one for the Oblates, just let you all know that that's still open. Open invitation to each and every one of you, regardless of what your faith is or isn't. If you'd like to become an Oblate to help deepen your prayer and your spiritual studies and contemplation, you're more than welcome to join the Oblates. And also a short advertisement about our YouTube channel, which has all kinds of great things on it uh, and fun things too. Interesting and fun. How about that? And it's all absolutely free. So thank you all, folks. Just a quick announcement before we get to uh, closing prayer request and benediction. Um, I want to remind everyone um, to check out Season 4, Episode 10, The Oblates of Perpetual Light, if you already haven't. And if you have and you're interested in becoming an oblate, please check out the website at oblatespl.wixsite.com forward slash oblates dash pl or contact me directly at oblates.pl at gmail.com. Links to both will be in the show notes in description. I so hope and pray to see you all as an oblate very soon. Her request and updates for this week are as follows. I was blessed to be able to communicate and speak with Mike S. Uh, this past week 
and I plan on talking with him again either later today or tomorrow. He has his uh, ablation uh, surgery Tuesday. So two days from today will be the surgery. So let us all please, 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 please keep Mike S. in your heart, thoughts, and prayers that the surgery is a success. It's like a seven or eight hour surgery. But let us please keep him in our heart, thoughts, and prayers that everything is a success and that he recovers quickly and fully. And I'll be sure to update you all when I have updates. Uh, Ray, who has lung cancer, started his chemo treatments. He is doing okay. His side effects are not too bad. He's got pain around the port uh, where they you know, do the chemo. His wife, Stephanie, had to go to the hospital uh, this past week to have a procedure done with her kidneys to have a stent uh, placed inside and also some other cleaning procedures. And she's supposed to go back in two weeks to have that uh, stent removed. So let us please keep them in our heart, thoughts, and prayers. Uh, prayers for Bob, Elaine, uh, Lana. Lana is recovering. She is being visited by a nurse once a week, and her daughter Megan is taking great care of her, so she is healing. Let us please keep her in our heart, thoughts, and prayers. Of course, Megan, Molly, Gwen, Octavia, Clyde, Mike S., which I just said, we'll say again, can't say it enough. Uh, Kathy, Michael T., Father Mike Cantor, Eddie Cantor, Emma, Jean, Doug, Tracy, Ron, Tanya. Yeah, Ron uh, just went for a job interview a couple days ago. Uh, we have not heard any results from that interview, but let's pray that he gets the job and that uh, Tanya's um, stress and suffering is relieved. Also, prayers for Salma, Sister Mercy, Augustine, Cheryl, Risa, and we have a new addition this week, Elijah. Elijah lost his job this past week very unexpectedly, um, and Elijah has been homeless before, so this incident uh, triggered all kinds of PTSD with him because, you know, it's always his worst fear that he not only loses his job, but that he loses his home. Um, so, um, I am friends with his husband and he, you know, conveyed that information to me. So, you know, I told him we would definitely pray for Elijah and for him. Um, his name is Andrew. So Andrew and Elijah, please keep them in your heart thoughts and prayers. Uh, Elijah's trying to find another job. Let us pray that he not only finds another job quickly, but it's also a better job than what he was let go or laid off from. So. Those are the prayers and updates for this week. If you are in need of prayer, please do not hesitate to reach out to me. I love to pray and everyone that listens to the show loves to pray. So let us pray for you. It's easy to do. Just contact me. My information is at the end of the show and every show. I could think of no better prayer to end the show than a prayer to end hatred. We see, as we talked about today, so much, so much hatred and and prejudice going on. So let us pray. In nomine Divi Filii Spiritus Sancti. O great creator, we are in despair as we see so much hatred in society and culture now. It seems like no one wants to talk with someone if they think differently, believe differently, pray differently, 
vote differently, speak differently, or look differently than them? What happened to loving our neighbors, Lord? We pray you will work in people's hearts to end hatred, one person at a time if need be. Soften hardened hearts by your spirit. Enable people to accept differences. Quiet the insecurity that makes people feel threatened by differences. Close the mouths of those spewing hatred. When we encounter hatred, give us strength, O great creator, to speak peace to it. Let us not be intimidated, but rest in the peace that you, the almighty creator, are with us and never leave us. While we are incapable of changing anyone's heart, we ask that you help us speak the truth to lies and be a vessel of love in a day that lacks it. Help us be a light in the dark hollow of hatred whenever we see it. We ask all these things in the strong name of you, great creator. Amen. I so hope and pray that you all have enjoyed the show and that it has helped you in some way. If it has helped you, please consider making an offering to the show. Offerings are a great way to help support and improve the show. It also helps and supports the Faith and More ministry. If you would like to make an offering, we are accepting them through the Cash app. The show's cash tag is dollar sign Faith and More, or you can find us at Cash dot app forward slash dollar sign faith and more and infinite thanks blessings and love in advance for anything that you can offer don't forget about our youtube channel you can watch videos of weekly ask angel questions bi-weekly sermons and homilies audio of the show the show you're listening to now is uploaded on youtube it's a great place and a fun thing to just watch and hang out on just go to youtube.com forward slash at faith and more podcast. I'm always open to questions and suggestions. We have people listening from all over the world. There are amazing beings past and present in your country, society and culture that we do not know about, but we should. Please contact me and share these amazing beings so we can share them with the world. Next is prayers. I love to pray and our listeners love to pray as well. So let us pray for you. There's two ways to do this. The first is to email me at faithandmorepodcast at gmail.com or through the website at faithandmorepodcast.wixsite.com slash my dash site. So until next time, have a blessed week and know that each and every one of you are in my heart and prayers. Bless you.